Welcome to the Listening to Land podcast with Phil Tkachik and Nathan Olmeyer. And we are very excited for all of you to join us here. And we want to talk briefly about our goals and intentions for this podcast. This is our pilot episode, and so we're going to jump right into it. Yeah, our intentions here and gathering here and speaking about animism is we wish to make animism more accessible for those who are interested. We also wish to help root those of you as, who are listeners into your local ecologies, into the rooting you in your relationships with the wild ones around you. Absolutely, beautifully put. And as part of that, our intentions is also to build a community by sharing this information. So we want to bring more interest to this subject, but also to bring more people in this practice with us. Mm-hmm. So joining us in practicing animism and seeing the world through this lens from this perspective. So we're very excited to be putting our energies and our life into this project in order to share that with all of you and invite all of you to join us. Mm-hmm. And with that, let's begin. Let's begin. Well, Mr. Nathan, I'm very grateful for you today and grateful for being in this gorgeous landscape with you on a beautiful blue sky winter day. And here we are having this conversation, making this happen. This is our pilot episode of the Listening to Land podcast. And I'm honestly very, very excited, a little bit nervous also, but very excited about what we're doing here. And am very excited about including the voices of the land in this conversation and encouraging all of our listeners to participate in a new way of listening, a new way of engaging with themselves and, and the land, the living land. Mm, yes. Yeah. As we're coming into recording this podcast about animism, it feels very right that we can hear the birds singing. I think I just heard a bullfrog over there do a little croaking. <laughs> and there's all these voices here within this landscape that are joining us. And the focus being of this podcast is listening to land, listening to these voices that are constantly surrounding us and always with us. And I think you really enjoyed the word you spoke with, um, participating. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. like animism is about a participatory relationship with the world and with your local ecologies that you find yourselves within. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've had a couple of uh, shamanic teachers and one of them had a very concise way of defining animism. He said it's everything being alive, aware, and with an ability to express itself in a meaningful way. So everything is alive, aware, and responsive is essentially a very concise definition for animism. Mm -hmm. But animism is not an intellectual exercise. It is a way of living, a way of experiencing and participating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, that participation really brings animism back into reciprocity. Like recognizing that as I'm sitting here in this land, as I'm sitting here upon this earth, this earth is also holding me up. Yes. And as my voice is being spoken into this world, so too are all these beings around me hearing my voice being spoken. And there's this constant reciprocity that every relationship is, <laughs> as a common cliche, a two-way street. Yes, absolutely. Reciprocity is definitely one of those 
key words in animistic experience and practice, and it is about give and take, right? Rather than something like sustainability, um, reciprocity is really about sharing in an equal way mm-hmm. and an exchange that is that feels equal and equitable to both sides. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. that's with currently listening to a nuthatch and a song sparrow singing and giving them our attention mm. as they do so mm-hmm. is an exercise in reciprocity. Yeah. Or feeling the sunshine on our skin and accepting that gift and allowing our bodies to produce vitamin D, you know, that's also a relationship of reciprocity. One that we tend to take for granted, but one that is essential to our life. Yeah. Not when you live in Washington. Not when you live in Washington, absolutely not, no. Yeah, this, this kind of blue sky winter day is such a gift, mm-hmm. really a gift. Yeah, absolutely. And to be in a wild place mm. on a beautiful day like this is very special. Yeah. yeah. And I feel feeling a little inspired right now to point out that we've had a song sparrow come and join us. They're perched up, twitching around, oh, and they have a little friend come and join them. That's probably their mate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel that was in two-part, like bringing our attention to these song sparrows who are now perched one right on top of the other and coming back to the word you just spoke about, attention. Mm-hmm. And for me and myself, I recognize that one of the gifts that animism has brought me is has allowed me to begin to pay attention a little deeper. Mm-hmm, I find mm-hmm. that I can pay attention to these other beings because it changes like this fern that's right in front of me. It changes them from being an object to a subject mm-hmm. with their own wills and their volitions and their own sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And now, too, as an author that both of us enjoy, David Abram, talks about with an object, it's so hard to come into a relationship with an object. Right. Because if someone's inanimate, then that relationship's only one-sided. Yeah. So it's not a true, authentic relationship. It's not reciprocal. But once I can see all these beings as the subjects, living beings, suddenly my relationship with them becomes so much more involved and complex and more real. Absolutely. Yeah. Objects are generally, we see them as things to be used and our culture, unfortunately, has a very strong story. Mm. And we're going to talk about story, too, as being very a powerful piece of, of what we're doing with this podcast. But there's a powerful story, a powerful narrative that the world is full of resources, which are essentially objects. Mm-hmm. Right? Natural resources are essentially objects. They do not have life. They do not have will or agency. In other words, they don't have their own self-willed um, value or you know meaning or ability to experience and here we are sitting with a beautiful sword fern in front of us photosynthesizing right now mm-hmm. so they are taking in sunlight we can see them glowing in this beautiful beautiful live way as they're experiencing that sunlight yes and you know animism is a way of experiencing that acknowledges the life in the beings around us mm-hmm. and it is really a different stance than seeing the world full of objects mm-hmm. and a big part of why we're doing this podcast why we're excited about it why we have this energy and this intention to share with all of you is because we believe it will make a difference to live in a way where you are 
in an active, participatory, reciprocal relationship with the living world. So first, seeing the world as living, a world that is alive, full of beings that are alive, with their own experiences and values and ways of communicating. Mm. And also, appreciation. Mm -hmm. Deep Mm. appreciation. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy the just coming into reciprocal exchange with the world and the way animism allows this through both attention and appreciation. And like what a powerful gift to give your attention. Absolutely. I had an elder talk about how they work with kids, connecting them back to nature. They were talking about when they were younger, when they were a child, about the power of when an adult gave them their attention mm-hmm. and how good that felt as a child to be given your attention by or to have an adult gift them your attention and moving through the world in this way. And when he spoke those words to me, it made me think about like these other subjects, these other living ones that are around us and what a powerful gift our attention is and to be able to just gift your attention to watch as that fern takes in that sunlight, to watch as that song sparrow sings and calls to their mate. There's, there's a lot of power that comes with that, with just gifting of your attention. And animism is a gateway to be able to gift your attention to these others. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's the gift that any of us can give, no matter who we are, and you know what we're physically capable of. Attention is always something that we can give and exchange, and it's a powerful gift. And when you're in a wild place, wild creatures respond really well to positive attention. Mm-hmm. I know you and I have talked about this many times that. We've both had lots of experiences of meeting wild creatures, owls, coyotes, you know, um, mice, tiny creatures, the big creatures that come up to us and interact, showing so little fear because we are sharing our attention in a positive, safe, non-threatening way. Mm-hmm. And there's something that is authentically magical about that. Yeah, and I also wish to add in that it's not just attention of from an intellectual standpoint like i'm not just perceiving a being with my eyes mm-hmm. it's uh, perceiving with my whole sensing body with your whole living like, body yeah yes. rooting into the land and i can feel and hear and smell and even at times taste these others as i experience them with my sensing human mm-hmm. and personally i don't know about you phil but i find that most of my wild animal encounters come when I'm sensing with my whole body rather than just with my eyes. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll definitely get into this more in future podcasts, but one of the studies both myself and Nathan practice is bird language. And bird language is an excellent teacher of having awareness of the landscape being full of voices that communicate in ways we can understand. Mm-hmm. And also they give those voices give feedback to you about how you are perceived and coming back to your point when you're just in your intellectual mind walking through a beautiful forest like this next to a pond the animals respond with fear because that's a very foreign way of being to them right Mm -hmm. because when we tend to be in our intellectual minds only we move about as if we were alien creatures Mm -hmm. we tend to Uh, be much more jerky in our movements, we tend to break sticks, we tend to disturb animals without having any consciousness of what we're doing. Yeah. 
But when we're in our perceiving bodies, when we're in our senses, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching, and seeing together, animals perceive us as other animals. Mm -hmm. And we immediately have this sense mirrored back to us that we belong. Mm. And belonging is such a powerful um, part of healing as human beings. And both of us obviously are on a journey of healing from living in a very fractured culture that tells us that we're separate from everything, that mm. we're not really important, that we don't really belong anywhere, right? That we're, to a large extent, the cultural narrative is that we are exiles from the garden. Yeah. And we're definitely going to come back to this point in later podcasts in more detail, but it is through our sensing alive bodies that we come back to our sense of belonging mm. and connection. Mm. Yeah, which brings it back to story yes. and animism as a living story. Yes, yes. We touched on briefly about like cosmology and the cosmology that our world finds ourselves in with like resources and being exiled from the Garden of Eden. And like animism helps bring, it's a shifting of that cosmology, it's a shifting of that story. And I also feel that this might be a great time for us to kind of, because I know others are familiar with the listeners here are familiar with terms such as story and wildness and the like, mm -hmm. but it might be beneficial for us to um, define those terms for ourselves so those of you who are listening can have an understanding of what we're saying when we're saying it. Right, absolutely. Yeah, these are, these are key words we're going to use a lot, we're going to repeat frequently, and we really need everyone to have a sense of the same definition. Mm -hmm. So we're all on the same page. Uh, mm -hmm. Words are powerful. And they're part of our magic as human beings, but mm -hmm. we have to make sure we're we're both um, we're both communicating the same meaning. And right now, <laughs> I just noticed there's actually a beaver that came out on a log across from us and is grooming themselves in the sun. And it, it's such a beautiful creature; its whiskers are just glowing in the sunlight. And yeah, I'm just <laughs> I'm very struck by that. Um, so, as far as meaning of wildness, this beaver is demonstrating wildness right now. Mm. Wildness as an expression of a whole, whole being, a being that is entirely themselves. And wildness is not, uh, wildness in the sense of a dangerous uh, creature that is going to cause harm, but rather as a creature that is utterly themselves and that is alive with that fire of life that living essence of air and all the other aspects of life that tie everything together yeah and for me i personally find that um it helps to think of wildness as a quality mm -hmm. a quality that we all carry and it's this quality that gives rise to our dreams, our imagination that gives rise to, as I move down the trail, to move a little this way rather than that way. Or for a tree, when the sun is shining, to lean to the right so that they can get in that photosynthesis. Or for the bird to move in and figure out how to crack open that seed so they can get into that protein and nutrients that are inside. It's this wildness of creativity and imagining yourself within the world and within your interactions with others. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Both of those definitions are really useful. Yeah. So we'll definitely use wildness as uh, in, an important word for all of us 
including you listeners, to share. And also, we want to make a distinction between wildness and wilderness. So wildness is an acknowledgement of an inherent beautiful quality of a place or a being. And wilderness is actually an imported idea from Western Europe that a landscape is dangerous, it's unknown, it's uninhabited by people. And so we tend to, um, if you look up the historical root of that word, it, it's an implication of a certain uh, unpredictable, untamed, but also dangerous quality. And that is an important idea because the lands where we are right now, which is occupied land, as Nathan mentioned, this is Salish land, um, they're wild lands, but humans have been one of the wild beings that have existed here for a very long time and have been part of that landscape. So wilderness, in that sense, doesn't really, didn't really exist anywhere because humans had a relationship with all different parts of the land mm -hmm. from the mountain peaks down to the Salish Sea and all the way out to the Pacific. So, mm. Which I feel is a great segue for defining cosmology. Yes, exactly. So let's dive into that. Mm -hmm. um, um, cosmology as we would define it as just the, the cultural narrative. Mm -hmm. It's the stories we tell ourselves of how the world came to be this way and also the guiding stories that kind of lead the ways in which we live our lives. Like this, this cause, like an a good example of this would be the exiles from the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. This is a guiding cosmology for our separation from nature, that we are separate from all of these other wild ones and that we are somehow superior to all of the rest. Absolutely, yeah. And that cosmology is in effect and is affecting the way that we think as uh, members of the Western culture, whether we're religious or whether we're an atheist, or it doesn't really matter your particular religious inclination, but that narrative is still one that affects how you think and feel and how you connect with the world. Mm. And so that cosmology is a story that's very prevalent under the surface inside of us all the time. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge it is also to actively take take some of that power for ourselves and remember that, you know, this is a story where we were given, we were born into, but it's also a story we can choose to have a certain relationship with. And that's what part of what animism is about, is acknowledging that that story may have been and may still be powerful to some people, but it's also really destructive in mm -hmm. some ways because of the separation it causes, that sense of loss and disconnection that allows us to feel. So in particular, I think it's important for us to have a conscious relationship with that narrative because if we are aware of how it affects our relationship with the living world, how it really limits our ability to connect with with this land here that we're sitting on with each other, with those ducks that are calling now, then we can consciously choose to have a different relationship and we can consciously choose to take on a different story, to tell ourselves a different story, to create a different story together as people. Mm. And I think that's part of animism is through our relationships with the living world, stories arise 
stories arise through our experiences and also animism is also becoming conscious of all the stories in the landscape you and i talk about that so often mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i love hearing you talk about how meaningful that is that the world is a storied place mm. yeah and i feel once again another segue for living stories um it's a phrase that we've both Sorry, nature interruptions. Um, <laughs> yeah, living stories is a is a phrase that we've both like come into deep relationship with, and feel the best way for me to explain this would be just to give an example. Like right here to the left of Phil is a down Douglas fir bow. All these branches and needles lying upon the earth, and within those needles is a story of growth from energy taken in by the waters and the sun. Mm-hmm. The stories of those branches are the wildness of that tree growing and then choosing what is the best way for me to grow, what's the most efficient way for me to grow to take in all the energy that I need. And so just within this single bramble, and then also there's the windstorm that caused this branch to fall down. Mm-hmm. So just within this branch, there are already three stories laid out. And then there's so many stories woven within them, like the stories of the growth itself and all of the things and experiences that this tree witnessed during that growth. And there's all of the nutrients that came from the soils that came from decomposing animals and the like all around that have now been brought up into that tree that are now existing in the energy of that branch, which now lays upon the earth because of the wind blowing through and falling it down. So with just this single branch, there's all of these stories. And these are only stories that we're coming to for just in these several minutes of being with this, with this branch. And yet we can also recognize, too, from an animistic perspective that there's so many more stories, too. There's so many more stories that live within that branch. And I take this perspective, I take this cosmology of story, I suddenly look around me, I look at the Salals, I look at the Oregon grape, I look at the sword fern, I look at this pond, I look at you, Phil, and this acknowledgement that there are all these stories that are living inside of all of these beings, Yes. and we're all coming together now, and we're currently living a story together, and we're adding this living story back into the internal aspects of our beings. Absolutely. That's a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. Thank you. Yeah, and it's a good segue also for a piece that is really important in acknowledging diversity and Mm. in particular one way to do that is to learn ecological literacy which means learning to understand what is going on in the ecologies around you so everything from learning the names of the beings for instance we've been naming a lot of them song sparrows sart fern mallards pond is also a type of being right full of different lives and a form of natural expression and also the edge of the pond and the forest that that transition place where the forest is not quite pond and the pond is not quite forest there are terms for that so one of my favorite terms actually which is ecotone ecotone is an edge an ecological edge so this is part of ecological literacy is learning these terms learning the names of the beings around you because animism isn't inherently contradictory to science. In fact, it's very often very complementary. And so both myself and Nathan spent a lot of time studying 
literally studying both in the field but also in the books, also reading scientific papers, and then also having relationships with the world that maybe aren't necessarily entirely scientific. For instance, listening to the voices of the other beings with our whole bodies, and that's not necessarily a way of being objective about our observations, but it doesn't mean that we necessarily are against standing in a scientific perspective mm-hmm. and also seeing the world from that way. So mm-hmm. it's just a matter of being able to shift perspective and, and see the value of both and see that they are actually complementary rather than in at odds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely find that as we are continuing to learn more in our scientific culture and also as we're beginning to bring in um, traditional ecological knowledge native science into Mm -hmm. our scientific way we're now recognizing that a lot of the truths that come from native science and for instance like uh, living land Mm -hmm. we now know that trees adults mature trees help to teach younger trees how to manage their water and how to manage the nutrients they pull in from the soils. Yeah. And this is a very new story, like a very new discovery within science, but it perfectly complements like this animistic wildness quality that animism reminds us that trees have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and as part of that story that you're sharing, that particular story, those old trees are also mentoring the young ones by sharing their own resources and I remember as a college student 15 years ago being taught that forests are mostly a bunch of trees competing for resources and this idea that some trees are literally sharing sharing their precious resources with other trees is mind-blowing and yet it's actually not a new idea it's a new idea from the scientific standpoint but from the animistic standpoint it's a very old idea because a lot of traditional cultures have lots of stories about trees working together, trees being teachers, trees being elders. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is why I think animism and the scientific perspective are really good to hold together because science doesn't see everything and animism doesn't see everything in the same way. And there's one of my favorite sayings I learned from one of my teachers was all knowledge is not taught in the same school. And I think that's a really beautiful idea to carry with you and remember that it's good to sometimes stand in different perspectives Mm. when you're looking at one thing or one relationship. Yeah, and that actually reminds me of something one of my teachers taught me back in high school. Um, My Spanish teacher, she had this poster up on the wall that said, not all knowledge is contained in with a single language. Yes. And when you apply that concept to animism, Uh recognizing that language is not just a human invention, but actually birds have language, trees have language, their own ways of communicating with each other. Like, all the knowledge of the world is not held just within a human language. It's held within, like, the languages of all the wild ones who live here. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, part of our, our journey to coming into being whole human beings is to make room for other voices to influence us. And I just paused because just as I was about to speak, a song sparrow sang out right behind us. Mm-hmm. And you know, I want to say that coming back to the definition of animism as being everything is alive, aware, and responsive, 
it's very easy to get caught up in this idea that um, we're anthropomorphizing the world, that we're projecting mm. human being mm. qualities onto birds and trees and ponds, but we're not actually doing that. And it's very important for us to make a clear distinction between that and animism, because animism is acknowledging the beingness of another phenomenon or entity or person, and that person is not a human person. So we're not trying to picture them with human faces and human voices. We're acknowledging that they have their own cultures, their own voices, their own thoughts and expressions and experiences that are wholly their own, and our challenge is to honor that in the best way we can, listen to that in the best way we can, and attempt to understand as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging that we have a lot of limitations around that. Absolutely. As human beings. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're limited by our very bodies, by being human. Like, that limitation is just by simply being human. And for me, with animism, it's not... Like, with that Song Sparrow, for instance, I will never be a song sparrow. Right. I'll never know what it's like to fly like a song sparrow. I'll never know what it's like to feed like a song sparrow. I'll never even know what it's like to be inside the mind or the heart of a song sparrow. But what I can acknowledge through animism is that the song sparrow is experiencing the world in some way. They are sensing the world and interacting and participating in the world. And for me, animism is about acknowledging that and tuning into my own sensory experience, my own sensing body to listen to that experience, to listen to what the song sparrow has to share about their way of life. Absolutely. And you're reminding me of a, a personal story about one of my breakthroughs as a naturalist, as a bird language listener, as a tracker, that I was actually here on this land, and we're here at the Redmond watershed right now, and I was walking with a friend, and we had caused an alarm to happen, and these two little wrens were alarming at another creature that was sneaking away from us. We believe it was a coyote, but we had this realization that us as humans that were in our 30s, so we've been in that many years we've been on this planet learning and taking information and don't know anything near what these little wrens that are probably two or three years old or these coyotes that are you know three or four years old that have lived on this land know their experience is so rich their knowledge is so rich in this place and living immersed in this place in this experience of this land that for us we are not even toddlers in our ability to understand how this land is and how all the relationships work. And that's something really important to acknowledge, and animism really helps us to humble ourselves and remember that just because a bird doesn't speak English and only lives a few years doesn't mean that their experience isn't valuable, isn't something to be appreciated, and isn't something that's rich in knowledge and depth and even emotional engagement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, that brings in, like, the deep acknowledgement of being... Oh, sorry. Animal nature interruptions. <laughs> um, the recognition that, like, we as humans are of nature. 
we are born of this world and like that's something that science can clarify through our DNA history as we have evolved into the beings that we are and we've evolved alongside all of these beings who too were evolving into who they are and so this concept of like um, sentience and intelligence being inherently just a human quality for me it doesn't acknowledge where that comes from where the intelligence and sentience comes from because it comes from our relationship with the earth from our evolution within the earth yeah and so i don't mean to say that like if i were to ask this song sparrow over here to do my algebra homework i'm not going to expect them to be able to do that because the coming into like algebra or something of that quality was an evolution of the human mind where the evolution of the Song Sparrow's mind went on a completely different trajectory. Their innate intelligence knows like the best hiding spots from predators, where the best feeding sites are, where how to craft and build a nest. How to refine a beautiful song, which we're listening to right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And so to deem these other beings around us, these wild ones, as being not intelligent or not having sentience, well, to me, that's anthropomorphic anthropomorphic yes we're placing like a human way of intelligence upon these beings but with animism it's about recognizing the intelligence of these others what are they intelligent about that we aren't absolutely yeah i think one of the beautiful beautiful aspects of animism is humility it's teaching us humility and appreciation and one of those things is appreciating that, you know, we are in a world full of many other intelligences, many other minds, and those minds have evolved to be just as refined as we are, even though, oh, and a beautiful bald eagle's flying over us this moment, <laughs> speaking of being in a minded place. Um, <laughs> Those minds are just as refined as we are. That The eyes of that bald eagle flying over us right now, its talons, its ability to respond to a salmon in a river or another prey animal or to build a nest are just as refined as our ability to do algebra or physics or to build a machine. It's different, but it doesn't mean it's any less amazing, any less interesting, any less something to be appreciated and acknowledged mm. and i really want to rally against this idea that animals are somehow inferior to us because they can't do algebra because they can't drive a car or turn on a light switch in the same way we can that's our particular way of being and so to project that onto other animals and say well you're dumb you little song sparrow you're dumb because you can't do my algebra homework is the most insulting thing and it's also showing us a really immature way of looking at the world because we're not able to acknowledge another being that perceives differently than we do and say, you matter just as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And coming to say, like, what do you have to teach me? Yes. I remember once I was down, this was actually an animistic experience for me. I was down uh, in Oregon where the Trout, Trout Creek and Malala River meet. This beautiful second-growth mature forest I found myself underneath an old-growth western red cedar. And I was doing work in this land, chopping wood, and I remember just all of a sudden pausing as the sun just shined 
through the fronds of this western red cedar. And I looked at this giant tree, and I just said to myself, "It's like if I ever want to learn how to be still, I need to apprentice myself to you." Mm, and then I just wow. went and sat underneath that tree for hours. Wow! Because this tree just has this deep knowing of what it means to be still, mm-hmm. and that was a quality that I wanted to learn. And so. In order to learn this, I had first had to acknowledge that this tree was an elder for me and had knowledge that they can gift me. And two, I had to be open to listening and to receiving that knowledge from this tree. And the only way to do that was to come into an understanding and meeting that tree on their grounds and not expecting, you know, to learn this in a classroom, but to come to the tree and meet them on their terms and just to sit beneath them and learn how to be still. Absolutely. Wow. That's a beautiful story. And it reminds me of many of my experiences that were similar. One that's coming up right now that feels very alive is uh, learning a breathing technique from my connection with a snake, a garter snake. Mm. And I I have snakes are animals that are, are very, very special to me. And I've some of them have been my allies and my teachers for a very long time. But in this particular experience, I remember... I was very slowly, quietly walking down a hiking trail and noticed this garter snake just off to one side on a a slope. And their body was kind of curved in and out of this speckled area of sun and shadow. And rather than this snake running away from me as I bent down to look at it, it lifted up its head and looked at me and I felt this instant connection. And I remember just like feeling this sense of slowing down internally and my mind getting quieter. And the snake looked at me, flicked its tongue at me, obviously was aware that I was there, and then put its head down and went into this deep, restful state. And I watched its breathing change. I watched how its breathing rate slowed down so slow that it was a lot slower than how I was breathing at the time. And I felt this call from the snake, this pull to imitate its breathing and so I did and and I remember slipping into this amazing meditative state of just breathing with my entire body you know like not just my upper chest and my lungs but like feeling my belly and my my entire torso expand with every breath and contract in this slow way and and there I was learning from a snake a being whose brain is you know smaller than my pinky nail right so if, if we were to talk about being superior human creatures and say, oh, well, you have a tiny brain. What can I learn from you? Well, actually, I can learn something really profound. And that that experience was, that was about 15 years ago, and I've actually been using that breathing technique when I'm in a really stressful state in my life. Mm. And it's been profoundly, profoundly healing. Mm. So there's that acknowledgement of we have this opportunity to learn from all these beings around us. Phil, I want to thank you for sharing that story about this experience with the snake. And I also, too, want to acknowledge that how easy it is to say that you just learned this breathing lesson while you had a wilderness experience. But bringing in that snake, bringing in this animal other, the recognition that you learned this, yes, but that learning came through your relationship with this other. It came through the experience with the snake. And also the acknowledgement that it wasn't just 
snake taught you this, but it was this particular snake yes. within this particular landscape who gifted you this piece of knowledge. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was. I, I still remember that it was. It was a common garter snake, and it, I still remember the colors, and I remember the spot, and I remember the plants around it, and, and that land actually where I learned it, um, which was part part of part of Tiger Mountain, was a place that as a naturalist I gained most of my knowledge, most of my training, and so there's a deep, deep intimacy with the landscape there. Mm. Oh, that brings me actually to a story that I had very recently. Um, I was working on Bashan Island, doing some work with Nature Connection with some kids, and we all did a sit spot, which is where you just go out into a land, and you sit for a period of time, and you just do like an external meditation. You bring all of your senses into the land, and you mm. just experience the land. Great way to and, describe it. Mm. And uh, one of my students had um, a little bird come within a couple of minutes, come and just sit on their jacket right next to them wow. and then suddenly I remembered too that this particular student has been with the, has been doing this program in this land for like six to seven years and there's this acknowledgement for me that this bird and this bird's kin their family all know her wow. they've known her they watched her grow up you know wow. they watched her grow like feet into the sky wow and so there's this deep I was thinking about how quickly this bird came into a relationship with her within just several minutes of her sitting down but then I remembered that she's been within this land for years mm -hmm. and as from as a child to now a young adult she has been in this land and so these individuals of the landscape these individual beings know her and recognize her and feel comfortable with her and that reminds me, I was reminded by, like, your relationship with Tiger Mountain after just spending so much time within that land and all of those beings getting to know you. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's beautifully put. And, you know, as a um, wilderness instructor for the past, well, it's been over a decade now, almost 12 years, um, I've had the opportunity to watch groups of people go out and do sit spots. Mm -hmm. And it's really magical to see that everyone's experience is different and there's something very real about when people are in a place for an extended period of time and they're feeling really connected and they're able to slip into that space of deep connection that the land responds it mm. there is a reciprocal event that happens and like you described with the bird landing on someone's jacket i mean that is such a flattering beautiful moment and it's also something that happens through our connection, through our relationship with place and with those particular beings. Absolutely. It's like that, that train or that trail of animism births wildness, wildness births story. And story is just the unfolding and unraveling of reciprocal relationships. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I feel, I feel so grateful for all of the wild teachers that I've had, you know, and that's part of what's actually encouraged me to step out of my comfort zone and do a podcast with you. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, this isn't, I'm not particularly drawn to, you know, this form of expression initially, but I do feel it's really important to acknowledge this, it's important to get this information out and to make this accessible to as many people as possible. This way of thinking and, and living 
is really powerful and transformative. And so animism is really, for many of us, potentially a healing journey because it allows us to reconnect with our wild selves, but also with the relationships of ourselves as an ecology, ourselves mm. as beings that are identified through our relationship with other beings. We are who we are through our relationships. Right now we're in a very, very privileged and beautiful landscape um, where we're sitting in the warm sun and we're watching some aquatic mammals swimming around and we're listening to birds sing and you know that is really feeding our sense of self right now mm. in a beautiful way and I'm feeling very grounded I'm feeling very connected to you to this place and to what we're sharing and it just feels very natural and I have this strong desire for more people to have an opportunity to connect more deeply mm-hmm. yeah and also the acknowledgement too that people will connect in their way, in their wild way, in their animistic way, and that we just kind of wish to bring back the veil so that they can choose to relate to their world however they choose to do so, and with just the acknowledgement of all of these wild living beings around them that they can now come into relationship with and the recognizing that they are alive. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that's something that we're going to come back to again and again. And so I think we're going to wrap this up and we want to say a couple of things in conclusion. I, I think the first thing I want to say is that, you know, this is our pilot episode and we're very, very excited to make this accessible to all of you listeners and really to pull you into a, a greater conversation because this isn't just about myself and Quan talking at you. This is about you, you being invited to talk with us. And we are just getting started on this project, but we want to make avenues of communication open to all of you who are listening. And we want feedback. We want um, also we want you to know what's coming down the line further in this project. So there's a lot of authors that we're really, really connected to that are animists and that teach about this way of connecting. So there's David Abrams and Robin Wall Kimmerer, Linda Hogan, and I'm sure Quan or Nathan will speak to more. Mm -hmm. But we want to say that we're going to be sharing a lot of different things in the future. I would love to read certain poems from some of my favorite poets that I found are really connecting. I'd also like to read some of my own poetry and maybe... Um, share more of my written stories as well all related to this topic and so I'm going to pass it over to Nathan but I want to say one last thing which is just thank you so much for giving us your time and your attention and we really appreciate it and we hope to hear more from you, from all of you and we're excited to continue this conversation mm -hmm. yeah well said Phil, very well said I think the, for myself, the only thing that really remains is just extending and offering gratitude to this land mm -hmm. for welcoming us here and allowing us to record this podcast in such a beautiful space. And thank you to the song sparrows and the toeys and all of the birds who sang their songs as we came here and were singing this song of animism. 
and thank you to the sun for shining down upon us and for giving us this gift of warmth in this time of winter and thank you to all the listeners who are joining in and coming into relationship with us and thank you for allowing us to come into relationship with you and please feel free to we'll set up some links for you all to reach out and if there's anything in particular that you're interested with animism anything you want us to talk about any questions that you have or any curiosities that you want to just share please please feel free to do so yeah thank you again everyone and we're excited to take off with this project so we'll be reaching out to everyone really soon thanks again and thank you to this beautiful place